You're listening to the Coffee and Clergy Podcast. I'm Pastor Scott, and we're glad that you're joining us today. You can watch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, or you can check us out in audio format wherever you get your podcasts. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Welcome to Coffee and Clergy. I'm Pastor Doug Chinberg. I'm Pastor Scott Pitch. We're glad to be back with you after a hiatus over the holiday season. We hope you had a good Christmas and New Year. Uh, we're marching into a new year, a new series. It's fresh beginnings all around, so we're very glad to have you with us um, as we uh, continue on our uh, journey in Coffee and Clergy of trying to d- dig into God's Word and apply it to our lives. And so um, let's, uh, let's open with a prayer, and then we'll get into what our discussion is going to be on for this year and uh, invite you to uh, uh, join us as we, as we study. So let's pray to God today. Thank you, Lord, for our gathering this morning, and we pray that you would guide our meditations and discussions as we uh, contend with this all too uh, serious a topic and all too familiar of one on the topic of human suffering and how we... Uh, approach it, how we contend with it, how we um, strive to overcome it in some circumstances and live with it in others. I pray that you would bless and keep the hearts and minds of those who join us, whether they are joining us live or listening on later, uh, that your Holy Spirit would use this time together in your word to provide peace and comfort for those hearts which are in the midst of times of suffering and that that might also equip those who uh, can be prayer warriors, and support uh, for those who are suffering. We pray, God, that uh, if it be your will, you would point us to Christ and be reminded of what his suffering yielded for us, which is true redemption uh, for eternal life. And so today, God, I pray that your presence would be felt among us, that your word would ring true and clear in its truth and its purity today. And most importantly, Lord, we pray that uh, above all else, we might bring honor to your name through our uh, growth as your beloved disciples and children. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. 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 So, yeah, so, so we're doing Making Sense of Suffering. So that's, that's our theme. The theme for this, this uh, five-week series we're going to be in for a bit. And uh, we're focusing in on how we, how we understand, understand and live in the midst of suffering. So... Yeah. yeah. And and where is God in the midst of suffering? Yeah. Uh, what is he doing? How is he is he a part of our life? Does he step away from our life? Um, there's a lot of questions that people ask and and um, so we're hopefully going to answer most of those questions, but uh, 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 but but where is God and and so maybe to start off, you know, the uh, the truth is is that everyone experiences suffering in their life. Yeah, we all do. And uh, it, it's good for us to acknowledge the fact that, that we do struggle with suffering. We uh, experience pain. It's a part of the human existence. And so, and our, our desire is to try and find out why. Yeah. Uh, why are we suffering? What's going on? Did, did I do something to cause this suffering uh, or not? Mm-hmm. Um, 
as we try and make sense of this and, um, you know, have I done something wrong? Is God trying to teach me something? Uh, is God testing my faith? Um, and so we're going to look at uh, these different questions and, and also uh, talk about what does God say in his word? Yeah. And I think one thing to, to acknowledge is we say that everybody suffers, but it's, it's very important that we also acknowledge not everyone suffers to the same degree. That's right. There's or some, in the same way. Or in the same way, same manners. We all have different yeah. types of suffering, different degrees of it. But the richest king who had all the comforts of the world still experiences suffering. And certainly the, there's a lot of people in history who have some really powerful stories of uh, the amount of suffering that they've had and the degree, the, the constant uh, you know, un relentless nature of suffering in their life. And so we don't want to, we don't want to pretend like everyone's suffering is created equal. We just are acknowledging simply that that's a reality of the world around us and confronting that from the very beginning is important. So what we want to do is today, I guess, three things. We want to identify the issue. We want to talk about, uh, the fact and the reality of suffering. Then we want to talk about some eternal principles, meaning what God's word has to say for us on, these, uh, on this issue. And then we want to talk about how we can apply those principles to our daily living. So let's start off with that identifying the issue part. And let's, let's say this. Pain is uh, certainly a problem for us. And even though it is, it's also a fact of our lives. We just have to kind of live with pain and suffering in our life. But what I want everyone to kind of think in your minds for just a second is consider your present pain and suffering. Consider pains and, and sufferings that, that you've overcome in life or ones that you are looking down kind of the, the figurative barrel of that are going to be ahead and, and kind of sit in that for a minute uh, and, and reflect on it as we have this discussion. Because I think so often when we talk about pain and suffering in the world, we kind of like to detach it and make it um, impersonal and talk about it out there when in reality there is, there is pain that we need to contend with, hardships we need to deal with right here in the present in our own lives. And so before we go any further with our discussion, just think about that for a minute. Try to confront the reality of the, the pain and the suffering in your life right now. And then we can move forward from there into some discussion on this. Yeah, and, and uh, we are going to start in a general way, kind of a big topic way, just to, uh, again, to begin talking about it, discussing it. But what are some of the places in the world um, where there is pain and suffering and, and sorrow? Uh, yeah. Where is that taking place? Well, uh, once again, there is suffering all over the world, but not all suffering is created equal. There are certainly some people groups um, that endure a higher degree of suffering, um, I think immediately right off the bat of, of a lot of the continent of Africa, there's a lot of poverty, a lot of illness, a lot of lack of education, um, a lot of sort of backwards political ideas that cause additional suffering in their, their you know, frame of reference in the world. Um, think of some, you know, Asian place, Southeast Asia, uh, the, you know, and, and so you kind of think about just the, the level of, of uh, human deprivation in these places and suffering is just pretty prevalent in these areas. Yeah, as, as we record this, today is January 12th, 1923, 2023, 1923, yeah. um, and uh, right now there is a war in Ukraine yeah. that's taking place and so there is uh, intense suffering that's going on 
um, sometimes senseless as uh, buildings are just being destroyed and people are killed, hospitals are destroyed. Mm -hmm. um, uh, I also think uh, there's, there's currently flooding out in California that's yeah. taking place. And there's a lot of suffering that's going on uh, there because of the, the, the rain and the flooding. And uh, while they need rain on the one hand, it's either uh, 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 feast or famine uh, as, as they have uh, uh, waterfall as water comes down and which makes life difficult mm -hmm. uh, for a lot of people. I think we'd be remiss not to mention the suffering the world over due to the global pandemic we've, we're coming through and out of with COVID. I mean, there's uh, a lot of loss of life, a lot of uh, not just death, meaning loss of life, but loss of the lives that we used to live. And there's a lot of suffering and pain that results as a, results from that. And so um, that's definitely an area where there's a lot of suffering as well. Um, and some countries were hit a lot harder than others. Uh, yeah. And so that's important to mention. And I, we think of members that are here at King of Kings that uh, uh, are just about or ready to go into hospice because the, the end of their life uh, seems imminent and uh, hardship and suffering are part of that. Yeah, so that's definitely true. There are different seasons of our life where suffering will be greater than in other times too. And so, and there's certainly people in stages of life we can consider here in our own backyards that that endure a, a greater degree of suffering, so. Yeah, and uh, we also think of um, um, other times in life that, that can cause suffering. I th we think of tornadoes or hurricanes or earthquakes, um, uh, natural disasters mm -hmm. that can cause intense suffering and hardship uh, in the lives of people. Yeah. And uh, I think even here in St. Louis, we recognize uh, with the murders that take place, um, there is uh, intense suffering mm -hmm. with families who lose loved ones um, unnecessarily um, because of violence. And, uh, yeah. and, and, and so a question, is there some method to Payne's madness? That's sort of a tricky question because on one hand, it seems like there's not because it can just pop up. I don't know how you could see something like childhood leukemia and think there's any method to that whatsoever. Or, you know, um, the AIDS epidemic in certain regions of the world or any number of things that you can point your finger at and go, what is the method to this? There's no reason or rhyme behind it. it that's what it seems like on the surface. And even for, for people who are Christians who have a sort of a worldview where God is in control of things, there are moments where we go, hmm, what are you up to, God? I don't get, I don't get this. This doesn't make sense to me. And so is there a method to pain's madness? Well, this is where you have to go back to Genesis, right? You have to go back to the fall. Um, when, when God uh, saw the, the fall of man into sin and the separation that that created, um, he had three I guess you call them curses that he put out, right? He cursed, um, he cursed the serpent, he cursed the woman, he cursed the man. And there's other curses that come along with those three main ones, right? He cursed the land, he cursed the earth. Uh, animals have been uh, damaged because of what humans did. Um, certainly natural disasters are a result of what humans did. I mean, all of these things are a result of sin in some way. Which we'll get more, we'll get into more later. But if you want to look at the method to pain's madness, that's where you have to begin. Is it's not pointing fingers at 
God, it's pointing fingers. It's sort of that old moniker when you point one finger three or point it right back at yourself. That's absolutely true here when we consider what the source or the method behind suffering's uh, madness, you can kind of say, well, it, it's right here at home. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, is, there, is there ever any justice in suffering is another question. That's a great question. Um, it doesn't seem like it when you're in the midst of it. Yeah. Although, although if, you, um, if you do something illegal, like rob a bank, yeah. um, there could be consequences of suffering if you are caught and placed in prison. Yeah. Um, and those are just, right? So yes, I guess that's an instance where there is justice in suffering. When you perpetrate suffering on others, what is justice if not suffering being perpetrated back? Yeah. And and so sometimes sometimes suffering, the suffering people go through, there's might be a direct link with the activity they, that they do, mm -hmm. but that's not always the case. No. Uh, in fact, I would say probably in uh, in a vast number of cases, uh, it's difficult to say this is a direct result of this other action. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, there are factors which can contribute to suffering in our life. I mean, if, you know, if you eat garbage your whole life and then end up having a heart attack early in life, it's like, is that a just consequence of, of suffering as a result of the way you lived your life? Technically, yeah. Um, but then you have things like, like I already mentioned, a seven-year-old girl who has leukemia, what did she do to deserve that? And that's where there's, that logic kind of falls through. It yes. doesn't apply. Yeah. And a, kind of another big question is, um, that we want to discuss is where is God uh, in the midst of pain and suffering in the world in our lives? Yeah. And this is sort of at the crux of this whole issue. As Christians, we have this idea that when we're going through moments uh, of suffering, sometimes we feel like God's nowhere to be found. Mm -hmm. We wonder where he is, but I would mm -hmm. say that is where he is found the most. <laughs> okay. His presence is often strongest uh, with us, although we may not acknowledge it, in our moments of suffering. Um, this is where it greatly benefits us to go back and read about the men and women in the Bible and their sufferings and where God was in the midst of those sufferings. Um, and so we'll do some of that today um, as we read uh, further on. But um, when, when you ask the question, where is God in the hurt of our lives? Never far away. Right, right. It may feel so, but he is never far away. And, and I think... In fact, I might say that he's, he's often closer than we mm -hmm. often realize. And it, yes, definitely. And this is where perspective lends... Uh, some weight to us when we look back on the moments in our past where we were suffering or things got difficult or we, we found ourselves just kind of up to, you know, up to here with the situation that we're going on in life. When we look back at that later on, we're like, you know what? God was there the whole time and I didn't even notice it. Um, you know, he brought me through, he helped me grow through this process of suffering and I'm better for having gone through it. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I think of that uh, poem, it's called Footprints, mm -hmm. where a person was going through some difficult times and, and uh, uh, they say, God, I, I look back on my life and, and um, I asked, where were you? I just see one set of tracks. And that's when God says, well, I carried you during that time and those tracks are mine. Yep. And um, one set of footprints in the sand. It's, yeah. They're his. Yeah. And that's true. And, and honestly, this, even even if you aren't looking at it in a 
purely Christian context, it makes a lot of sense. When you look at great men and women of history, virtually all of them have overcome some really intense obstacle in their life, and they've grown from it, and they've overcome it to the point where they're able to um, be well prepared for future crises, you know, and so... Um, and able to help others as they go through difficult times. Exactly, and walk with them. So um, that that's something to be said. I mean, we often don't see suffering as a blessing, but it gives us resilience and uh, helps us have uh, that resolve when difficult times come in the future so that we can deal with our own suffering and bear some of the weight of others as well. Yeah. So those are, uh, this, that's kind of the big picture of the uh, identifying the issue of pain and suffering. And so we want to talk now about some um, principles that God gives us. Uh, we could even call them eternal principles. And uh, the first one is that uh, we've touched on it already a little bit, that uh, there is a, a variety of reasons of why we suffer. So you get into asking questions about the reason behind suffering, like what is the motivation behind it, why, why that question of why. Uh, the reason behind suffering is one that can only be found with the right perspective. Um, if we start asking the, that question why, there are a couple of different ways we can look at it, and your perspective on the matter will inform what conclusion you arrive at. So one of the ways to think about this is, is to consider a story, right? That there's a a tornado that rips through a town overnight. It leaves devastation, chaos, economic damage, uh, property damage, and it also leaves hundreds of people injured and it kills 28 people. So in that scenario where something like that happens, there's always the question, why? Mm-hmm. Why is why would a good God allow something like this to happen? Let's just put that question out there. What's the reason? And there's a couple of perspectives that, you know, um, some people try, again, try to find a specific sin or wrongdoing that yeah. has caused the suffering. Yeah. And, and so is it something that the people of this town have done? Or is it something that someone in this town has done? Or uh, sometimes people try to, uh, to again, in, in trying to understand it, they... Uh, identify the people as the cause of the suffering yep. and pain. So they say, yeah, like with such great suffering, there must be some reason. So it must be, if it hit this community, they must have done something to deserve that, right? Um, and so the collective guilt of the community is being you know, punished by God in some way. So that's one perspective you can have. And then there's another perspective, which I think is one you'll see is a little healthier, nuanced, healthier, (laughs) wiser, you could even say, Uh, more in accord with God's uh, word. And that's this, that we cannot begin to point fingers uh, of blame anywhere. Uh, Instead, all we can do is share love and help people uh, that are suffering and help them to know that God's care is not far from them, but is actually readily available to them right now. And so there's two different perspectives. You can see, like, when you ask the question why, you can, you can see how a mindset can take you in one of two directions. Mm-hmm. And here we have uh, a clear, I think, exhortation by God in his word to approach things in that second way and say, like, it doesn't help anything to start pointing fingers. It doesn't help anything to assign blame f- for the suffering that we've experienced. And it's, it's very clear to see, like, in, a, in an instance where there's a natural disaster that sweeps through, it's, it's 
quite one quite it's one thing to say like it must have been them. It's quite a different thing when a different type of suffering that we see happens that has more of a direct connection, right? Someone did something horrible to somebody, right? If someone killed somebody, right? We would say like they are to blame. I point fingers at them and God will judge you for what you've done. And that that seems reasonable, but then you can also see the other perspective too is to say the reason why this suffering happened wasn't because this person did something wrong or offended, but rather it's not for us to know why this happened. It's not for us to know or question God as to why these things happen. Rather, it is for us as God's beloved people to share his love with others and to confirm for those who are suffering that God is with them in their pain. Someone once asked the question, you know, instead of asking, why did this happen um, to these people? Uh, another perspective is to say, why, why not these mm-hmm. people? Uh, why should they be excluded from the suffering that other people have gone through? Definitely. And um, uh, it, because we live in a broken and sinful world. Mm-hmm. And, um, but um, so um, as we, we talk about this and, and um, uh, ask God, you know, what would you have us do? in moving forward, we don't always necessarily answer the question why, but uh, what maybe a better question is what now? Yeah. What do we do now? Um, how can we love and serve those who have been, those who have been hurt, those who have uh, suffered loss? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, another perspective, what now? And, and another thing that this sort of response of what nowness, if you want to call it that, does is it, it really is the only thing that gives any kind of sense of action or resolution to this suffering that's come. The other thing, all it does is just perpetuate, you know, to, to say they deserve the suffering that they had, all it does is just perpetuate further suffering. Mm-hmm. This, this solution of saying we don't know why this happened, we're not going to point fingers, we're just going to love, what now, right? What it does is two things. First, it acknowledges that this suffering is real. It doesn't try to gloss over it and say, they're there, it's okay, you'll get over this in time. You know, There's a reason for everything, you'll understand one day. That may be true, but it's not helpful. So it acknowledges the suffering that's present, but it also, it doesn't, it doesn't wrest control of, of everything away from God. Um, God is the one who's in control, but we don't assign to him a blame for the, for the thing that's gone wrong. Instead, we say we don't understand why, but we do trust and we do... Uh, we do put our faith in God, knowing that he's in control, even of this present suffering we're enduring. And that's a healthy response, uh, whereas the other one, I think, just cast additional shadow over the situation and more, more suffering. Yeah, God, God acknowledged the brokenness of the world when Adam and Eve sinned. And with that brokenness comes comes consequences, comes pain and suffering and sorrow. Uh, God is aware of that. And um, that, that is now a part of the human condition. Yeah. All right, so that's the first eternal principle. Uh, the second one is that God has redemptively entered into human suffering. So that's something that gives us some, some resolution or some feeling of, of an answer to the reason behind suffering is to say, first confront that there are a variety of sufferings in the world and that they're real. And second, to say, well, yeah, but, you know, that doesn't help me at all. And then all of a sudden, God steps into it. 
He steps into the suffering of this human condition. He steps into the pain that we're also familiar with. So yeah, we, we have an example of that in the Bible as we look at the, the life and story of Job. Definitely. And, you know, um, well, Job, um, uh, nor, nor the Job, nor the ancient Israelites could fully understand uh, how God could affect um, or undo the effects of sin. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that God does is that he brings about, he can bring about some kind of redemption yeah. in the midst of suffering and pain. Yes, definitely. So you have this idea in, in suffering that it's never ending, uh, that we're just going to have to put up with suffering forever. And that's not God's plan. God's ultimate plan is an eternal suffering for his people. It's to endure suffering now as a consequence of our sin so that we are turned to look for salvation from that suffering. Yeah. And that points us ultimately to the Redeemer, right? Uh, and so I think this is where we can go into Job a little bit and see his faith in the midst of intense suffering. If you know the story of Job, the basic overview, Job is a godly man. He has a lot of wealth and, and possessions, but he's a good steward of them. He honors God with his life and his words. Satan comes to God and says, you know, that Job, you, he's got everything and you take it so easy on him, etc., etc." No wonder he's happy. And yeah, no wonder he's happy. So I'm giving you the gross Pastor Scott version of a very yeah, yeah. dynamic uh, book of the Bible. But God says, I'll allow you to tempt him. And so immediately, you know, his sons are killed, his, his wealth is taken from him. He gets sores on his body. His wife tells him to curse God and go die and... And his friends are all trying to get him to confess to doing something wrong so God will have mercy on him. And he's not done anything to deserve the suffering. So th there's just this back and forth dynamic of like Job enduring intense suffering and yet Job remaining faithful to God. Job having some questions because we all have questions in suffering. But never, never trying to condemn God for an unjust punishment. Yeah. One of the statements that he says is the, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Exactly. And, but the name of the Lord is to be praised in the midst of all that goes on in the world. It definitely is. And, and so we get kind of this context float, flooding into this uh, passage in Job chapter 19. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to Job 19 and uh, I'll read verses, or Pastor Doug, would you read uh, verses 23 to 27 for us. Okay. Um, a passage that I think hopefully will resonate with people in their suffering. Okay, from Job 19, beginning with verse 23, it says, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written on a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, were engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, Yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Okay. And so this is in a moment where Job is enduring unimaginable suffering. His skin is falling off his body in sores. He's got death and all around him. He's got accusations struck against him. He's got an emotional detachment from the people he loves in his life, and he's got this, this sort of vacuum where there used to be this powerful relationship with God, now just kind of destroyed, turned upside down, inside out, um, yep. 
And, and so, first of all, what do you think Job was thinking as he wrote these words? These are some incredible words. So this is sort of what I think is he has the response to God that is appropriate in the suffering. If we go back to the tornado situation, he, he doesn't point fingers and ascribe blame to God for the suffering. Instead, and by all accounts, he very well could. He knows God's in control. Why would God allow this to happen? You did this. I, you know, I'm against you now. Instead of doing that, he just says, like, this is the reality of my situation. I'm suffering. Things are bad. And yet, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. I know that he will be present with me, even in the most harsh depths of suffering. Even in my, even after I'm dead and my body is completely decayed. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. And so and there, there may be some people that say, you know, I don't feel like saying those words when I'm going through suffering. And, and so I, it, I think it's also important to know that um, the Holy Spirit inspired Job yep. to say these words mm-hmm. and uh, to help him to realize that God wasn't to blame, uh, but that somehow, some way, um, he would actually end up seeing God as his redeemer, as his savior, um, as, as the one who would, who would help him, and that someday he would actually see God face to face. With his own eyes. Yeah, and that there, there may be some time where, you know, he's, throughout the whole book of Job, he has this desire to talk with God face to face, and towards the end of the book, if you know Job, that actually gets to happen. Mm-hmm. He does talk with God, but... Um, um, it's not exactly a pleasant conversation either. God kind of puts Job in his place a little bit, but yeah, uh, it's good. It's a good conversation. Job 38, if you're interested in reading yeah. it. And so, you know, these are incredible words, uh, recognizing that in, in this intense suffering, um, that God is still there, that God can redeem him and help him, and um, that he will see God at work in his life. Yeah. And what a, what a powerful uh, perspective. Oftentimes this verse is used at, at funerals. And uh, again, it reminds us that in the midst of suffering, uh, God is present. Yep. So the, the second question here is, is Job looking for relief from his suffering and tragedies or is he looking for something else? He could be looking for relief. I, I would suggest that maybe even more so that, that Job is looking for meaning. Yes. Uh, what, why has this happened? What is, is God wanting to teach me something? Um, is there something that I have done that I can learn from this? Uh, God, what, what do you want me to know? Um, as well as God, where are you in the midst of this suffering? Uh, there was, um, uh, I had the privilege of taking some counseling classes a number of years ago. And, uh, one of the types of therapy was called logos therapy. Mm. Logos therapy was developed by uh, a man by the name of Viktor Frankl uh, during World War II when he was placed in a concentration camp. And one of the things that he observed is that people who were suffering, who had no hope, who had no understanding or, or meaning that could be applied to why they were suffering, those people often died or they died, they went downhill more quickly as their body became weak. Uh, he also realized that those who had some kind of understanding or those who could learn from their suffering, they were the ones that even in the harshest circumstances in life, they at times would thrive, mm-hmm. even in the midst of the suffering that they went through. 
And so he developed this whole theory um, called Logos Therapy, where he tried to help people uh, develop some kind of meaning and understanding in the midst of the suffering that they had. Good. So sort of the what underlying or the why underlying the suffering. So you're, you're creating an answer that allows you to develop a, a target or a goal or a purpose above and, uh, and beyond the suffering that you're presently in. To make some kind of sense in, uh, in what's going on. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and then he also learned that those, that those who had some kind of meaning were also helpful for those uh, who were suffering all around them. Yeah. And that actually gave them more meaning. Mm. Um, uh, and enabled them to, again, thrive in the midst of, of uh, the worst circumstances imaginable. And um, so another question is that when we suffer, uh, are we looking for answers? Are we looking for relief? Are we looking for something else? And I think in our sinful nature, we're looking for someone to blame. That's Oftentimes, sort of, yeah. that's sort of, you go back to the preschool class with toddlers, right? If there's if something happens and there's they did it yeah (laughs) they're pointing fingers at somebody that's the natural instinct for humans that's what adam and eve did in the garden right when god says like what did you do he made me do it she made me do it the serpent made me do it it's like that's what we do we're blamers when when there's guilt to be had we like to push the guilt onto something or someone else and uh I think that's what our instinct is. I think if we, if we acknowledge we're redeemed people of God, we've been sanctified and created anew in His image, the hope is that as Christians, when we suffer, we're not looking for someone to blame, and we're not even really looking for an answer to the, to the why the suffering is occurring. Instead, what we're looking for is what God is doing in the midst of the suffering. So I think that's what we're looking for, is this sort of idea or identity from Job that where, where his eyes go is not to blame, not to understand, but to a Redeemer who will deliver. And so that is where our eyes need to go in our suffering, is not to a why, not to a blame, not to try to understand the suffering, but rather to point to the one who can redeem the suffering and what he is doing through it. That's hard to do. It's not easy to find yourself you know, sitting next to the deathbed of a loved one and say, and, and it, where's the Redeemer in this? And it first takes faith to believe that there is a Redeemer yes. that's there. Definitely. That's a, that's a prerequisite to, to any kind of um, an, an answer beyond uh, a sort of what you were getting at that Logos thing, something, some purpose or meaning or understanding beyond the suffering. Before that can even be done, there has to be some level of trust and faith in something beyond yourself and beyond the situation that you're in so that you can step out of it and, and move forward from it eventually. Yeah. Now there's, a, there's also another passage from scripture uh, that talks about God's own suffering in this world. Mm-hmm. And it was written before Jesus ever stepped foot on this earth, mm-hmm. before he was ever born. And so 700 years before Jesus was born, uh, the prophet Isaiah talked about that there would be a suffering servant. And and we want to talk about uh, that as we look at Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, We're going to read verses 4 through 6. And do you want to read that I'll read that part, sure. Uh, We read this around the season of Lent and around the the Holy Week suffering. So uh, if you've not heard this passage before, try and frame it in the mindset of, 
Jesus' crucifixion, but acknowledge once more this is before Jesus came. Surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed." Um, yeah. We all, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to his own way and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Yeah. So again, a incredible passage uh, by the prophet Isaiah. And so first of all, what, what images, as you read this, as you hear it, what images come to your mind? Um, I, I think of the one who was pierced for our transgressions. Mm -hmm. um, immediately it goes to Jesus yeah. uh, when he was pierced on the cross, um, um, uh, who was punished so that we could have peace. Again, it, it ties into Christ. His, by his wounds, we have been healed. Yeah. And, you know, there's some people that, that have read this Old Testament passage and automatically they think about and they know that it points to Jesus Christ. And, um, for, for those who don't have a faith, um, uh, they say, how can this be written 700 years before he was born? Yeah. This, whenever I hear this passage, my brain goes back to when I was a little kid. There was a book that I read called The Whipping Boy. And I, so you may or may not have read it, but the general overview of the plot is kind of a comedy for, for kids. But it has this sort of dark premise behind it that there's a prince who's very badly behaved. He's very spoiled, rotten, and he needs discipline. But there's like a rule or a law that you can't strike the royal, you know, Prince. tushy <laughs> or whatever. You can't, yeah, you can't uh, discipline in any kind of way uh, beyond that. So what they do is they hire a, a boy whose responsibility it is is to take the whippings that the prince deserves for the bad deeds that he did. And at first, the prince is like, yeah, I got off scot-free and all that. And there's a storyline that kind of ensues um, where, they, where they grow to be friends and stuff. But, um, but there's this kind of uh, this dynamic of like the punishment that was earned by one is given to another. And so I, when I've, whenever I hear this suffering servant passage, I don't think of like a, a disembodied suffering servant and then we here in the present i think of two two men standing right next to each other one committing some heinous crime the other one being beaten for it and that closeness uh of that proximity of the sin and the punishment right next to each other um bing bang boom kind of thing it, it to me it gives a lot more weight to the suffering the stripes that that are put on him the 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 smiting the the striking the crushing the piercing it's all occurring right ne in your own eyes right next to you mm -hmm. and so you can see the result of your misdeeds and it adds a little gravity to it I feel like yeah so um, another interesting thought if we were to read this passage from Isaiah to Job in the midst of his suffering mm -hmm. how do you think he would react what would he think um, and he might put himself in in the position of the one who's receiving the, the beating and the suffering. Am right? I suffering for someone else? Am I suffering for the sake of someone else? And so he would understand the level of suffering. And then when he thinks my my redeemer lives, how I think it would have been beautifully poetic that the way the redeemer redeemed is through suffering. 
So um, that, that's not explicitly said in the, in the Job passage that we read. Instead, he's looking in the midst of his suffering to a Redeemer who will deliver him. But how beautiful is it that the way that God designs um, suffering to be paid for, the consequences of our sin, to be paid for by the suffering of the Redeemer himself. Um, that probably wouldn't even have occurred to Job. And I think he would find it extremely beautiful that there's one who suffered even greater than him, right? Job has suffered a lot, right? And, and stayed faithful. Now imagine the, the perfection of God in human flesh enduring an even greater suffering and, and obtaining an even greater reward for that suffering yeah. and then giving it away. It's kind of that Lutheran question, what does this mean? But putting it in a personal application, what does this mean to me? Yeah. What does this mean to my situation? And uh, to have a Redeemer who's also suffered on our behalf yep. in a greater way uh, so that we wouldn't have an eternity of suffering. Yeah. And uh, what a... And that becomes, uh, again, a blessing the way that he redeems us so that we don't have that eternal suffering. Mm -hmm. uh, another kind of eternal truth is that sometimes we need to look not for, not for answers to our suffering, uh, but you mentioned it before, but simply look to God in the midst of our suffering. And uh, so as, as Christians, we, can, we see suffering all around us. And uh, we also recognize uh, the suffering of Christ and it's redemptive power, um, and yet we, we fail often to see how God uses uh, our own suffering for his specific redemptive purposes, whether it's in our life or in somebody else's life. Yep. And um, so there's a, yet another story that, um, that Jesus, where Jesus was talking about suffering in the midst of uh, the people around him, taken from Luke. from Luke's gospel. Yep. Luke and, chapter 13, if you're looking that up in your Bible. And we'll begin with the first verse. And we'll read the first, we'll read five verses from Luke chapter 13. It says, Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the other, others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Hmm. So it, it kind of, Jesus is, uh, again, trying to give those listeners a new perspective uh, instead of they were trying to point fingers, whose fault was it? And Jesus said, no, we live in a broken, sinful world. And unless you two repent, um, these same things could happen to you. Or anyone else for that matter. That's, that's right. Sort of the point is that uh, it's the world's consequence of sin that needs repenting and paying for. Jesus knows that the world will never be able to be saved by its own call to repentance that it needs a savior to do that on behalf of the world uh, so yeah and so how does how does suffering in this case relate uh, this is another interesting question how does this relate to God's holiness yeah well I think that the holiness of Christ was made perfect through suffering I think that God's holiness in us so are you saying that Christ wasn't holy before his suffering no I'm saying that the divine in Christ was was 
seen in its greatest fullness on the cross. Okay. Um, that uh, there's no act that Jesus did that was holier than his own suffering and sacrifice, essentially. So the reason for that is because in that moment he is uh, doing the task which is the greatest for, for mankind and redeeming it from its sin. Um, and so... So God is holy. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to suffer. No. But he recognizes the brokenness and sin in the world. Yep. And from God's, by his power and perspective and for, because of his love for us, he says, I'm going to redeem this broken, sinful world mm-hmm. uh, by stepping into suffering myself. Yep. And then it extends even beyond just the, um, the redemptive act of the crucifixion. God's holiness is manifested in suffering, not just of Jesus, but of Christians as well. When we are willing to... Uh, join Jesus in his mission to suffer for the sake of others' salvation, right? To, to go into dangerous places and preach the word, to allow ourselves to receive some discomfort for the sake of a, another's comfort. Um, we are enduring some degree, great or small, of suffering, and God's holiness is manifested through that, right? He's reaching the lives of other people. His Holy Spirit is active and working on on the souls of other folks when we do these things. And that ties into another question. How does God receive glory in the midst of the suffering that is going on around us? And that touches on that as well as, as we go in as, as first of all, as Christ, uh, his greatest uh, glory is seen on the cross. And as we suffer for others, uh, we point people back to God and say, you know, we, we want him to receive the glory um, uh, just through the demonstration of love and service that's shown through other, to other people. Yeah, and that's absolutely true. I think that uh, I think that's the way God chooses for his glory to be revealed. I mean, we have we have instances and moments like in the Bible, transfiguration, right, where God's glory is seen. We see like at John the Baptist, right, when Jesus gets baptized, God's glory coming down like a dove from heaven, the voice speaking. But he doesn't do, he doesn't reveal his glory in that way so much today. The way he reveals his glory today is simple means, right? And, and through everyday vocations uh, where we endure hardships and struggles and we overcome obstacles so that we can um, do the things God has appointed us to do, which brings him glory. Uh, so it all kind of comes full circle in that regard, where we do as his followers the things that that Jesus did in taking on those hardships so that God's glory might, so God might be glorified. Yeah, yeah. So let's, um, let's bring these, all these different principles and uh, apply them uh, to our lives uh, today. And so our lives in the world, uh, again, we see suffering all around us. Uh, all you have to do is turn on the uh, uh, the TV, listen to the news, uh, you see death, shootings, suffering, uh, poverty, disasters. Um, and so what should we as Christians think uh, when we're confronted with these realities of suffering? Well, my hope is that after this discussion and reflection on God's word, that we as Christians would take a different uh, approach than your average everyday citizen. Um, that that it would lead us to look towards the Redeemer who's, who's doing something in the midst of the suffering. We don't need to ask what it is he's doing. We don't need to ask why he felt the need to 
allow the suffering to occur. Instead, it's our place to trust him and to be aware and have our eyes and ears open to see what, what kind of opportunities and doors he's opened through the present sufferings. Yeah, I, I, I think of, you know, in Lutheran theology, we often talk about the law and the gospel. And the, the law tells us, uh, can be a mirror to point to the fact that we live in a broken and sinful world. And so this suffering reminds us that sin is all around us. That's the bad news. That's the word that comes from the law. Uh, but there, there is good news um, in, in knowing that, um, that we have a redeemer, that God is with us, and that um, um, he actually invites us as his people to, to be a part of that redemptive work as we love and, and care for others in the midst of the suffering that's going on around us. Yeah. And so um, what, about, what about people who aren't Christians? Uh, what do they often say about God when they see the suffering that goes on in the world? I think the, the number one answer is to deny the existence of a good God because of suffering in the world. They would say, they would say something like, if there was a God and he was a good God, how could he permit these things to happen in the world? Therefore, there can't be a God. Yeah. He either can't be loving or he can't be all-powerful because these things are out of his control. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So essentially, yeah, that's, that's the, the sort of way of putting it is if he was all good, uh, he wouldn't allow it. He wouldn't allow it. If he was all powerful, powerful he, he would have the power to stop the evil. Yeah. So he must not exist is the, the conclusion they come to. And that's such an interesting uh, and, and fallacious a statement statement because what it essentially does is it ascribes a moral characteristic of good and evil where there's no purveyor of good and evil. So how can you say what is truly good and evil unless there's someone who establishes that that marker of good versus evil? And who are we to tell God how he should act or not act? Yes, exactly. And who are who are we to tell in our in our little microscopic view of a big picture of the universe uh, say that one thing is good and one thing is evil when it's God who is the one who has the grand narrative the big picture in mind um, and so uh, that's sort of the the thing we need to be careful of is to say to ascribe uh, um, to God an impossibility of his own existence based on a premise that he would be necessary to be present for uh, to, to utilize for your argument, right? If, if there is good and evil, there must be a good and evil creator, or not a, a creator of good and evil, you know, mm -hmm. a creator of, of morality, I guess would be the sense of sort of bringing it in, so. Yeah, and a, and a final question. So uh, how does the church talk about human suffering and what, dark, what part do we play in addressing suffering in the world? We've kind of talked about this already. Yeah. And so as, as the church, we see the world as, again, as a place that has been touched by sin, has been broken by sin. It's affected every aspect in every relationship and every person. Mm -hmm. uh, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, our relationship with the world, with uh, all living things. And that, that is a reality that we live in in this, uh, it's a broken and sinful world. Um, at the same time, uh, God tells us as Christians that there is uh, a loving God and he is seeking to work good out of even the worst situations. 
and he's willing to redeem it, and he gives us the ultimate picture mm -hmm. in his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. In the beginning of our discussion, we talked about how uh, the sort of ultimate goal of suffering is to learn how to handle that suffering such that you can bear your own suffering and have uh, sort of bandwidth or capacity to take on some of the suffering of others. And I think in a lot of ways that's one of the reasons why Christ has brought the church together is to take all of our collective suffering as the church and put it on one guy, right? Put it on Jesus on the cross. So that way he bears the heavy weight of the suffering of the world on himself and opens up this capacity, this bandwidth then, so that we can start to bring the suffering of the world and put it onto the shoulders of the church so that we can then take that and then put it on Jesus. And there's sort of this concentric circles in towards the middle where all suffering filters down to the one who pays for the suffering of the whole world and endures the suffering of the whole world, which is Jesus. And so I think this is where, as the church, there's a definitive uh, sort of purpose or sending or identity that we need to acknowledge the church's role in, in bearing up the weight of um, suffering of those around us in our immediate context so that then we can take that suffering and place it onto Jesus through confession, through repentance, um, through uh, prayer and, and, and our petitions. So um, there's, uh, I think, a very real calling for us to take this pain of the world seriously. Uh, first of all, I think that's one thing Christians sometimes struggle with is we say, you know, the world's going to end, everything's going to be fine, right? And we don't acknowledge that the suffering in this world is, is real. real and, and it's hard and it, yeah. and it brings people away from their eternal Savior. So we need to handle that so that they have a clear road that doesn't take them away from Jesus, but brings them to him. Um, and so we confront the reality of it, and then we also bear the weight of people who are suffering. So we, when someone, when someone has a need, whether it be internationally, locally, um, when, there's, when there's real suffering and real need in our communities, in our country, our world, we take that seriously and we contribute in the way that we are well equipped to do so. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that God sometimes works outside the church. And what I'm thinking of is that, that God works through, uh, whether, whether it's people in the field of science or people in the field of medications and medicine, um, that God can alleviate suffering uh, through their work as well, even if, whether they're a Christian or not. And so sometimes that we, we talk about it in theology as the first article theology. It, it deals with how God uh, created and sustains and continues to care for the world. Um, but uh, God does that through science, through medication, uh, through the field of, of uh, doctors and nurses and, and those in that uh, uh, type of caring vocations. So. So that, that brings us to the end of our, our topic for today as we talk about making sense of suffering. And so to uh, wind things to a, a stopping spot, let's close in a prayer. And if you would bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life that you give us. And we recognize that in the, the midst of this world that we live, this world of, of suffering, this world of sinfulness, this world that's broken because of sin, um, we're reminded that you are present in it, uh, that you are with us by our side. We understand that there are times uh, where we don't understand uh, the suffering that we go through, the hardships that are taking place around us. And 
And so, Lord, we can only look to you. Uh, we look to you to, uh, to be present with us, uh, to give us understanding if, if that's your will. Uh, but we also thank you for the privilege and opportunity of, of partnering with you and reaching out to those around us who are suffering uh, so that we might demonstrate your love and your care for them. So we ask that you be with us today. Uh, give us eyes to see the work that you do and hearts that, that continue to follow you uh, so that we can share your love with those in need. So be with us this day. We ask it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for being with us today. Have a great day in the Lord, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Coffee and Clergy podcast. We're glad you could join the conversation. Coffee and Clergy is a ministry of King of Kings Lutheran Church in Chesterfield, Missouri. You can catch us live on YouTube or Facebook on Wednesday mornings, and we post the podcast on Thursdays. For more information, check out our website at www.kokstl.org. Blessings on your day, and we'll see you next time.